0: Warning: Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is My Truth. Tell me yours. On this episode, I talked to Nathan Shoemaker. Uh, uh, Nathan's a design artist. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, he does a lot of album designs and also like gig posters, stuff like that. Um, he's also a musician, and uh, I've known him. Gosh seems like about 20 years from the, uh, conversations that we, we were at, that we just had. Um, you know, he's, uh, um, I first met him when he was guitar player in a band called on fire. And, um, he now does, uh, Nathan shoemaker graphic design, uh, is his primary occupation. But, um, you know, we talked about some, mutual friends we have musician mutual friends and um him working for Ryko disc records way back in the day and just a bunch of different stuff and you know it was a really good conversation he's down in texas now but he's from new england originally and uh yeah it was it was good to see his face and hear his voice we haven't actually connected face to face in years so it was it was good to reconnect with nathan and uh yeah i hope you enjoy this conversation It's funny. I was uh, I was trying to think because, like, we've all I think we've met each other in person twice, but it's been. That's what I
0: was thinking, too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I was thinking about that yesterday. I think the first time we met, I, I think we met at um, the Middle East upstairs when Steve Brodsky was playing a solo show. Yeah. Yep, uh, right. Yep. Yeah. Were you were you selling merch for him, him at the time? Well,
0: we put out the first his solo records on vinyl, so I was doing merch for him, probably.
1: Yeah, because I I remember getting the um the Spiral Sounds EP on CD, which came with the vinyl. Which you know, I've since you know, when I have people look through my music collection, they're like, "Where did you get this?" And I was like, "Oh, is that? I guess it's really hard to find." But uh, yeah, and that that's like one of my favorite things of. His his uh, solo discography too, so it was kind of a cool thing.
0: Yeah, it's 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 definitely yeah. That was my favorite. I, I had heard those songs, and uh, that's when I, I came up with that idea. I was like, oh, we got to put this in as a CD, right? You know, because it didn't wasn't on the record. But I was like, it's so good, it's got to be heard. So I wanted it out there.
1: So. Yeah. So how how did you like? How did that whole you know, putting those those records out on vinyl, how did that all come about?
0: Well, it was interesting, because uh, I, I worked at Ryko Disc yep. for a couple of years. I guess it was, I don't know, two and a half years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they closed it, moved it to New York. But, right. uh Yeah. Um, uh, I worked with Matt Pike, who books Converged and Caven. Right. And needed a third guy in there once in a while. And... and Steve didn't have a job at that point, so yeah, we. He was like, "Let's give it to Steve." And I'd met Steve a few times. I didn't know him that well, but Matt Pike knew him, so I was like, "All right, cool." Sure. He worked. They both worked for me, and then he. Uh, <clears throat> and then he he had made the solo album for Magic Bullet, right? And awesome. So I was like well, we should put this out on record, but my label didn't have enough money to do a final. Yeah. So so this A&R woman at Riko had a label, too, on the side, and we decided to put it out together. Um, and Steve was all psyched on that. So nice. We went with that. And then the second one, Brent was doing the CD, Magic Bullet was doing the CD, and then, so we were going to do that with him that time. So that's yeah. when this
1: CD came into factor So, yeah So that, That's how that happened <laughs> Nice How big uh, How big a run on vinyl uh, Of each of those titles Did you guys do?
0: A thousand of each Yep They sold pretty quick So Cause I mean Caven was blowing up At
1: that point So You know Yeah It just,
0: it just was gonna happen That way
1: Yeah I was trying I was trying to remember time. You know Cause Even before the Pandemic and everything time has you know the older i've gotten the more slippery time becomes and i i remember like separate like little instances like that like i remember that day that i bought that record and i remember that show but i couldn't tell you what year it was i th- i mean it was i'm pr- pretty positive it was post antenna but it, i'm pretty sure it was as far as like caven's chronology um i think it was
0: i think it was well it came out before antenna okay because it was when jupiter was just about to blow up sure yeah um so we've done it around then because
1: once jupiter came out that's when he was on the road all the time so he wouldn't have been working with us i gotcha so it was before then man yeah like i said time is time is a slippery thing because Jupiter's the record that i got introduced to cave in on and then you know i went backwards for the the you know their first couple releases but um. Uh-huh. So, were you and you were doing on fire at the time as well? Correct.
0: At that point, I was still in Slower Than Seasons. Oh, okay. Um.
1: Was that was that your first like major band? No, actually, my first major band was actually one of the bigger ones I've been
0: in. I was in a band called Everdown for a while. Okay. Uh, we were on Tooth and Nail. Yep. And, did a couple records with them before we kind of just
1: imploded because we were young and stupid, didn't know what we were signing. Sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've heard, um, I've read some horror stories about uh, Tooth and Nails uh, contracts uh, not being necessarily great for artists.
0: uh, Yeah, I would say, I mean, I'm not going to talk
1: trash about my friends. Sure, sure. Yeah, but... Yeah, for a young guy, signing a contract like that, yeah,
0: I mean, it was 19, you know, sure. It's, we didn't know what the hell we were doing, we just wanted to make records and have somebody pay for them, and we got that,
1: sure, sure. <laughs> how, how many records did you do? We did two, okay, okay,
0: kind of just it just imploded. Um, but we
1: were young, I mean, we were growing up with that thing, so yeah, what the hell we were doing, yeah, we we're just a hard from new hampshire we didn't know what we were doing yeah <laughs> so, yeah what part of what part of new hampshire are you from originally I grew around concord okay so technically bow but right yeah which is yeah which is um where caleb skullfield was living yeah yes that's right yeah mm-hmm. it's so funny because you know i've uh i, I know a decent amount of, of people that you know knew caleb in common uh while he was alive and then in the past couple years since his unfortunate passing, I've had so many people yeah. that I knew who, who, who had connections to him who I had no idea we were you know connected uh, until, unfortunately, after his passing.
0: Yeah, it's funny because it's like when I ran that label, um, and I, <laughs> I don't know if you would ever remember that, he would have ever remembered it, but my label tried to put out his old
1: hardcore band once oh really uh an event called strike three sure um and uh we were gonna put it out we had had the artwork done and everything yeah um and uh and then we just couldn't come
0: to an agreement on how to do it so we just never did it yeah
1: i um you know I, i i dabbled in a couple running a couple small labels back in the back in the uh you know late 90s early 2000s myself and i know just especially when it's there's not a whole lot of money necessarily being made at that point like it's, sometimes it's tough to come to an agreement especially when it's all hypothetical money that you're talking about with people
0: yeah you're, you're talking in like in in like what ifs and it's like right when you're all a bunch of kids You don't have if this loses, that's it. You know, right. Like there's, you know, the band doesn't make any money, dude, and you don't make any money back, so that's the end of it. So it's, it's yeah. It's, it's really it's
1: almost thankless. You know, we we've got lucky with some records over the years, but a lot of them were just like great records. Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> that's well, I mean, I just think about how much music. Gets made, you know, every, you know, every year, um, you know, God, at this point, every month, you know, where technology's to the point where it's kind of a, you know, not a completely level playing field, but it's a lot easier for people to make music on their own without having to involve a a label, but be even a studio. But because of that, there's just a sheer quantity of music out there. And there might be something that someone connects with better than anything else, but just may never discover it because, you know, algorithms only work so well. Like, you know, there's, there's only so much time in the day and there's only so many ways you can connect to something and you might never discover something that would be your new favorite band just because there's so much out there. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I wondered that too. It's
0: like lately, it's like the markets. So, I mean, it's so oversaturated, you know, go on, go on Spotify. you might, Go down a bit of a rabbit hole and find something that's cool that you never would have heard of it otherwise. Right. By you found it by accident. Yeah. there was no marketing behind it. There was no advertising. of yeah. the wasy or it was like you're just like, oh, I stumbled on this because I happened to like hump. You know, it's like right I mean, if, it, four clicks to get to it, and I like it. But yeah. I never would. You know, it's like basically it's, we used to have a thing when we worked at Reiko. And it was, I mean, I worked for Virgin Records after that, but, yeah. like, like, we used to just call that thing, like, a, a guy in his record, you know? It's right. like, you know, that, there's a lot of that out there. Like, somebody can record at home, play everything, have a friend come play drums on it, and there you go,
1: he's got a record. Right. You know? Right. And, you know, so, which is cool in a lot of ways. It's cool that you can have your stuff heard, mm-hmm. you know? But there's so much of that, it's hard for anybody who's starting a new thing out of nowhere, like, you know, some high school kid, to, like, get any traction anywhere. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too. I mean, i uh, in in our lifetimes, the, the music industry has changed so much that, like, I really wonder if, you know, because all the quote-unquote, you know, big bands that i can think of as especially in the rock music genre most of them are have at least 20 years in now at this point like i can't think of any bands that are less than 10 years old who have a you know an enormous presence not not that that's necessarily a good or bad thing it's just um the model has changed so much that i don't know if there's going to be huge um, rock and roll superstars you know or monumental bands the way there used to be
0: yeah I think that's true I mean you're not gonna have like I mean a band who's just starting out with, even within the last 15 years I would say yep. you know you're not you're not gonna you know unless you're like Miley Cyrus or right. you know or Lake or something you're
1: not, you're not gonna have you're not gonna have a band like that sounds like The Cure Right. Be that, you're not going to see it. I don't think we'll see it. Yeah. Maybe we'll. You know. Yeah. You know. Do you think? I mean, do you think that's going to have an impact on how people, like how much people absorb music? Because you know, I I have so many friends who make their living in the music industry, or you know, and it's harder for them to make a living. But it also seems like people are listening to more music now than ever.
0: Yeah, th- that's a very interesting point. I think, I think that's true to an extent. I think you're gonna have you're gonna have the people who have their fan base. I don't know how to explain this right, but I think you're gonna have the fan people who already have, have an existing fan base. They're right. probably not gonna that, you know. Yeah. But I think the fact that we're not we're not most of society isn't listening to music as an album format anymore. Yeah. We're listening. It as a on demand, I want to hear that song, I want to hear it now. Right. You know? And, and I think that kind of. I mean, I'm kind of a purist. I believe if you make an album, you want it to be heard as an album. For sure. It, and, you know, but that's me being biased because I'm a musician and I want people to
1: listen to the whole thing. Right. I don't care if you buy it, that's not that important to me anymore. Right. I just like to have it heard in context, but that's impossible now. So how do you. I mean, there's just people are listening to way too much stuff, but I don't, I think you lose the attachment to it. Sure. I
0: guess I mean, does that make
1: sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i kind of the same way in that I prefer a listening to an album as like a cohesive piece rather than just, you know, uh, a song here or there, but also the way the artist intended. I mean, it was interesting. Um, good mm-hmm. example deftones they have a new album coming out uh at the end of september and it leaked beforehand and i know you know and probably one of my you know top 10 favorite bands that exists right now and but i didn't i didn't want to listen to it and you know not that i was worried about any sort of ramifications about that i mean i think the days of napster you know people getting prosecuted for that are long over but it was just like this is not how the band intended it to be heard and I, I don't want to listen to it on you know the crappy little speakers on my phone. I want to listen to it in my car while I'm driving or on my turntable at home.
0: Yeah, exactly, and, and that's the way I feel. I think, but I think the industry has had to cater to the people who aren't into that notion. Sure. You know? they want to hear it? How they want to hear it? And I guess it's that's a, a it's trying to be more inclusive. I think. Yeah. But I think it. Kills the art form a bit, sure. You know, because I agree with you. I mean, it's like I love Deftones. I love that new song a lot. Yeah, it's like I hear it the way they want to present it. It's like I don't want to get some crappy, you know, 128 bit rate right file like, edition and download it and, and then share it everywhere because I'm cool because I have it. Early.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. It, You know, I've moved across the country uh, a couple times in the last decade and just, you know, I, I've been I've rented pretty much my whole life. So the biggest bane of my existence whenever I move is lugging my record and CD collection. And it's, you know, every time someone helps me with it, and it's usually someone that's younger than me, even, you know, if it's five years or 20 years younger than me, they're like, you know, this is all online now. You don't need the the physical thing, but it to me it's it's one of yeah. the things that brings me the most joy in life. So, right,
0: it's like no, you don't understand. I do need that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like unless I'm wet. It's like I've, I've moved around a bunch, and
1: like right. you know, I I take it everywhere. It's like yeah. I mean, see, I don't keep out anymore, but there's yeah. still a ton I didn't get rid of. Cause sure. Yeah. You know. Well, and it's funny because for me, like. Like, I do like vinyl, but it's when I started collecting, you know, my own... Well, my, my music collection started on cassette, but then, you know, within a year or two, switched over to CDs because that was the predominant format in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And um, that's still my preferred format. I mean... And people will argue back and forth about whether the fidelity in vinyl is better than CDs or not. You know, I think there's advantages to both depending on what you're doing. But I just, vinyl's too expensive to, to, to buy everything that I want on vinyl. Uh, I, I agree. If, I, if it was a perfect world, I would. Yeah. But I'd have to pick a choose, you know? For I mean, sure. There's just some,
0: like, yeah, that looks cool. I like that record. Do I love it? No, yeah. I don't. Love, you know, to buy it, but I'll support it. Right? Know? It's like CDs were easier because you could buy go to Newberry Comics or whatever, buy ten CDs, yeah, like spend that's your tithe of record industry money for the for two weeks or something. Right. You know, that's fine. And if you ended up not liking it, you could just sell it because there was a worth,
1: there was a traded value. Now it's like you buy some random record on vinyl the hell knows if anybody's going to want it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and it's such a, I mean, vinyl is such a tricky commodity as far as, like, the secondhand market where, like, CDs are, I mean, obviously, CDs aren't indestructible, but they're a lot more, uh, um, they can take more of a beating. They can, you know, be kicked around the floor of the car for six months, and, you know, if the case cracks, you replace the plastic case, and that's it. Yeah, it's a,
0: it's a more portable format. Yeah. Which, I think, I, I think it was the segue to where we are now in the digital age of Spotify. Yeah, you know, all Spotify and Apple and you know, all the streaming stuff did was take, was take the actual physical product out of the scenario. Yeah. So you're still, you're driving around with a CD. You're still, you're. It's the same thing. You just, you know. Yeah. So, I think the the, the vinyl records are just more personal. For you know, it's like because you you actually have to physically sit there, choose to put it on, you know. Yeah, it's you actually have to physically
1: skip the song. Yeah, it's it's more of a it's more of a commitment. It's it's like an actively engaging, you know, because at most you're you got 25 minutes to sit there before you have to get up and flip over to the second side. And yeah, like, yeah, like you said, if you want to get to a specific song, you have to like eyeball where the where the the groove is and you know drop the needle and hopefully you don't scratch the record too bad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and you know I mean there's pros and cons of both,
2: which is why I don't buy as much as I probably would have would otherwise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but I mean it really makes me appreciate that process of listening. Yeah. Know? So as far as that goes.
1: I mean I don't know. I mean, if if I was rich, my house would probably have no art on the walls. It would probably just, or, or it would, but there would just be records around everywhere. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. Um, speaking of vinyl, um, and this is a kind of a hackneyed segue, but it's a it, it, just thinking about it. You did the, um, you did the design for the the fire theft vinyl re release. Yeah. How how did that come about? I know you've worked with Jeremy Enoch uh, before, right? I haven't
0: really worked with him per se before. I when I worked for Live Nation doing design, I done a sunny day real estate poster. Yeah. Uh, and when the fire theft came, the CD originally came out. It was on RICO. Right. But it was at I was at wasn't at RICO anymore. They mm. closed that office and and my friend. My friend Adam had done the CD cover and I guess they'd approached, Warner Brothers had approached him about doing it and he gave them my name. I guess he didn't have any interest in doing it or was too busy or something. So it ended up in my lap and so uh, I just started throwing concepts around based on the original work. I wasn't involved with the band too much until closer to like, once drafts started going out, so, um, but, yeah, but, um, yeah, and then I got to meet and see Jeremy a few times and yep. hang out with him, that was cool, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun to work on, it was, it was fun because it was, like, I felt like I was doing, the, the sleeve for it that, like, I always wanted it to be.
1: Sure, sure, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a beautiful design.
0: Thank you, thank
1: you. And, I mean, it was funny because I remember when the CD came out, and because it was one of those, it was like a triple Digi- fold digipack, and yeah, four folds uh, or something. Yeah, it, it's it's a big digipack, and it's weird because the the image that's really striking that you know the bird with the branch is the back cover, and it's just yeah. like the bottom third of a band a stretched band photo is the front cover, and it was I always thought that was like such a strange design yeah I did too I remember that and I I didn't dislike the design I just didn't you know because my friend Adam did it I liked the design I just didn't think I don't think it really fit what that was you're right you know it's like to me that was like the Sunny Day Sunny Day Real Estate album right Sunny Day Real Estate album
0: right (laughs) you know so it's like I felt like it needed to feel more like their catalog stuff because you know it essentially is the same dudes except for one right you know you know, then you know. Ultimately, it's like there was a couple of drafts that one one of them would like more than the other one, and ultimately we just kind of had to push them to where we thought it needed to be, and ultimately everybody was
1: happy. So, gotcha. Um, Did you were um were were Nate and William giving feedback to? You or was it primarily Jeremy for the design? I don't know how much Nate was involved with it. Um,
0: I know William liked one draft better than you know, than everybody else like in another draft um yep. but we didn't know what William wanted but mm-hmm. I think ultimately he was happy with it sure um, I don't think anybody really pushed it unless there was something I didn't know about <laughs> sure sure <laughs> you know whatever that I don't know but you know, so I just my job was really just to get it where I thought it needed to be and see what everybody really wanted to do so uh it's tough, because I've never really done that for that. I mean, it was technically a Ryko release, but Warner Brothers owns Ryko, so right. it went through that. It was, I don't know, it was interesting, because a lot of the stuff I had done for Warner Brothers after that was just all like reissued stuff, so it was like just putting together stuff when they don't have the files for anything, so lots of getting things scanned and piecing them back together. And re-
1: typesetting stuff, but this one was totally a brand new thing because it never existed, and sure. nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to use the original. Yeah. So, so when you're um, so when you're working on a reissue thing where you're scanning existing stuff, you know, to to redo the layout, are you are you the one who's doing the actual scanning, or is someone you know at the record labels scanning all that and then sending you files? How does that work, or does it depend?
0: Well, when I was doing this stuff for them, it was uh, basically it was they would mail me copies, they'd score copies of records, like because a lot of some of them were just like one pressing in Germany or something. Yeah, you know, so so they spent a fortune to get that copy and have it sent to me. And then I had a neighbor in Philly who uh, would she worked at the art at the architectural school she taught there so she, she had access to awesome scanners yeah so i just could scan them for me I'm like super high res
2: so i could screw around with them yeah um that, that's how we did that but then it's not glamorous It was a lot of cutting and pasting and then putting stuff back together and going uh yeah that doesn't work yeah so i need
1: to fudge that one a lot there and fudge this there finding fonts and you know. yeah yeah Setting stuff so but i mean it was fun it was definitely a challenge but it was fun sure what are some of the um, what are some of those projects that you're particularly proud of the the, the final result
0: uh, type out negatives bloody kisses we did that one Yep. that that one was that one came the first one came out good and then they they did a triple vinyl of that yeah like a record store day that year and then later we did it as a double but the way the format had to fit it just didn't the way that this manufacturer wanted it set so I had to move the type too much apparently it annoyed fans because I had to cover the ones channel a little bit more than it should have gotcha and it was, it was a process that sucked eventually they didn't do the scans with them anymore they just hired another designer to, the band hired another design. the remaining band I guess. right sure uh, I mean, to uh, to um, to just redo all the stuff so that yeah. was cool I did a juliana hatfield one that was fun that was good um uh, um and then uh my, i did the revolting cox one
1: too which one which yeah. one of the revolting cox barnyard
0: rarities one
1: yeah 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 that i wasn't totally
0: psyched on doing that because i really didn't like the original art at
1: all sure
0: yeah. I'd
1: having to recreate something that I thought was kind of terrible in the first place right. was rather interesting. So yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I can't even. Im- it's it's funny, and this might seem like a weird comparison, but you know, being a you know doing illustration and painting myself, a lot of people um, from time to time will mention to me like, "Oh, why don't you take up tattooing? You know, you could make some money at that." And my thought. My my thought process has always been, like, what if someone asked me to do some artwork that I just think is terrible, but, you know, but it's my job to try and make money doing it. How do I do that? And, I, like, that's going to be hard for you sometimes working on something that you just, you know, think the design looks terrible, but, you know. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, it's part of the – I guess that's part of the whole, like, commerce versus – like art for pure art for art's sake right and it's like you know it's like i mean I'm, it's like i do stuff that i think looks good but somebody else has to want it to be what they want it to be sure in order for it to happen so i mean it's a sacrifice from minute one because it's like i can make three drafts or something and yeah. you know what i love but you know what Nine times out of ten They're gonna choose the one You didn't like the most Right You know Right It's like It's like Something feels different To somebody else You know So it's like You know And I can think something My catalog of stuff I've done is awesome And I think it's great Somebody else could be like Oh I wouldn't do that Yeah You know You know Or I think that's ugly Yeah That's totally fair You know It's like everything's subjective I believe You know For sure For sure you know, I guess if you as soon as money comes into the situation, you know, it's like somebody's paying me to do it, they're paying me to do what they want to do that they can't do themselves. Yeah. So, paying for my eye, but ultimately they have to like it. So, you know, it's like when you're painting for your sake, yeah. like on your thing, it's like if you're painting, that's for you. Right. You know? You're not getting, you don't need to have anybody approve that, you know? Yeah. You know? somebody's paying
1: you to draw on their body right well and that's i I guess it translates too because you know i do uh, i definitely do commission work but like it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely a very gratifying thing when i do a painting on my own and then someone reaches out and says oh is that for sale because then i don't have to you know i don't have to compromise anything i've already done all the work but you know when people commission me to do stuff it's i got to get their input and make sure that they're happy so yeah it's yeah it's a give and take
0: yeah, exactly. And, you know, and it's, it's tricky too because it's like you know, it's like I like to get paid for what I do. Yeah. But like at the, at the same time, it's like um, I mean, it takes a lot of hours to do these things. You know. Yeah. It's like it, you know, you know that is for sure. But it's like not everybody, not everybody sees it that way. They just think like, well, I'm paying you to do exactly what I want. Yeah. It's like, well, okay. Well then. Learn
1: Photoshop,
0: dude. Right, right.
1: Yeah, it's like you don't you don't need me that. Yeah. Well, and early on when I, eh, you know, I have a I have a friend who's an illustrator and musician who, um, Uh uh, he gave me some advice a while ago, and he said, you know, if someone's hiring you, they should at least be familiar with your aesthetic, and they're hiring you for what you do because. I used to get frustrated when people would say, "Oh, can you change this? Can you change that? And he's like, you know you can you can take as much input as you're willing to ask for and He said, but at some point you have to say, you know this is what I can do if you want it this is this is this is what I offer this is my style and if, if, if it's not going to meet it, maybe you need someone else Yeah and I, and I, and I go about that that way too because it's like you have to what you're saying is like you're assuming they're coming to you for what you do right like like i'm not going to use a font that i just absolutely hate because somebody like then you should go find somebody who loves
0: that font because i don't don't do it so i mean but i usually at the same time i'm flexible and i'll work with people okay so that's not working for you what can i do here that will somewhat satisfy you and make me happy too yeah you know yeah yeah There's a lot of give and take, and give and take in this stuff. So.
1: For sure. But, yeah. So when, um, when you were, um, back when you were working for Ricoh Disc, were you doing design back then for them too?
0: Funny enough, no, I didn't. I ran the shipping warehouse. Okay. <laughs> so that's how Matt Pike and Brodsky worked with me, So, um, but, which was a pretty big deal because for an international company, it was a lot of work.
1: So. Sure, I would imagine. Was that, uh, was it still in Gloucester at that point?
0: No, this was back, when it was in Salem.
1: Okay. Salem, Mass. And, uh, we had a huge shipping
0: area. And, like, I mean, we were doing, like, four or five hundred things out a day. So, yeah. um, so it was a lot of work. But it was cool. I mean, we had fun. And you know,
1: some of the best people I ever worked with were there. So, nice. um, yeah, so, so yeah I think my uh, the thing that and this is this is my you know my CD collector nerd dumb coming out I think the thing that made me saddest when Warner Brothers you know when Ryko became a Warner's acquisition is they did away with the green tinted jewel cases which was like uh, s- I mean, such a staple of Ryko Disc it was
0: except they're always broken man
1: yeah oh like we used to shake him in the
0: office like as you shake them before they're even out of the shrink wrap, yeah, and be like, "Yep, the
2: Ryko disc, yeah."
0: Just a green tint made them so much more fragile. I
1: don't know why. So I mean, it was funny too because like, yeah, I think, I think I first got into, I think my first Ryko disc release was probably Copper Blue from Sugar, Um Same. which is great fucking record, but um, and then I found out. I was like, oh, this label does reissues, too. And then I found out, oh, no, this label does primarily reissues when they first started. Um, yeah. But I remember looking through used bins at record stores all the time, and, you know, the green tint pops out. And so I'd be like, oh, what's this? Because, you know, Rycodisc had really good taste in the stuff that they put out. So, <laughs> I, you know, that's how, I, that's how I first heard morphine was because of the, the green tinted jewel case. I, you know, didn't know... Anything about them, and I picked up uh, uh, good uh, j- just because it had a green tinted case on. It. I was like, "Well, Ryko put this out; it's probably pretty good."
0: Yeah, I know. It's like, and, and you know, they had a great N.R. team. That you know, the cat, the catalogs they bought were able, like Elvis Costello and they had the Bowie, ca- and you know, stuff like that was able to. That was the reason they were able to find a band like Morphine, right? Get Bob Moore from Sugar Records with them, you know. It's like because they had that kind of revenue where they could afford it. Sure. You know? uh, There's a lot of misses
1: too. A lot of misses, but uh, but they had some great stuff, you know. Yeah, for, for sure. I um, yeah. it was it's funny too because whenever I, you know, when I when I see Elvis Costello or, or Bowie re- reissue, you know, because their respective labels have now reissued them on their own. But whenever I see the the Rico disc ones, I'm like, grab those, because those are like the primo reissues like they like the care that was taken to like all, you know, all the, the packaging and the bonus tracks and the sequencing. I was just like, yeah, it wasn't dollars first. It was like, we care about this project. Let's put our all into it where I feel like, you know, I feel like the major labels now that they're re- reissuing stuff is like, OK, how can we get some more money out of this?
0: Yeah, they're just repackaging it to make money and re you know, adding one track or saying, like re, quote unquote remastering it, you know. Yeah. It's like you know, it's like you know, just a, it's like what is it, Virgin did the all the Bowie stuff, Yeah. Still, uh, uh, yeah. So it's like every time there's a Bowie reissue it's like, Okay, another Bowie reissue. Right it It's like yeah. yeah. It's like So but yeah, I mean like I mean I learned a lot about like just music in general there because half the stuff. I mean, I was just a dorky indie hardcore punk kid, right? You know, started there. and By the time I walked out of there, I
1: knew a lot more about a lot of different stuff that I never knew. Sure, sure, so, cool. And are you are you still doing? Uh, you're doing music as Lavinia now. Yeah that that's what that was my newest. Uh, Things for the last 10 years um, it was basically just
0: I was in a band called on fire obviously right. which you mentioned um, and then that turned into a band called XEXO for a little while Did mm-hmm. uh, one record with that and then it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing yep yeah. then so the drummer ended up splitting off with me as well but he still played in XEXO so it got weird yeah <laughs> a little bit confused so and that's when I started Lavinia with Phil, the drummer Alex and Phil from Caspian, and then Josh from On Fire and the Burning Paris. So we we made a record just kind of for the hell of it. Yep. Um filing sheet said they'd put it out, so we did it. We didn't it wasn't really well thought out, it wasn't planned that well. It just came out way better than we ever thought it was gonna be. Mm-hmm.
1: It was kind of Glorified side project for everybody, but you know, we did it and, and then made another seven inch, and you know, so yeah, we did that for a while. And then I put it when I moved to Texas, I put it back together with other dudes and we made another record that will be the last record from that band. Yes, yeah. yeah, but it was, I mean, it was fun, so. <laughs> are you are you doing any music at, at this point for yourself or is it, is the design work really kind of your focus?
0: I'm working on a new project with uh, my friend Jenny from the Burning Paris. Um she, it's going to be I mean, I kind of write songs the way I write them, so yep. it's still good. But yeah, it's you know, it's going I don't know I don't know where how it'll end up being sounding
1: but you know, I kind of have an idea of what I want it to do, but I don't know where it'll be. Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, I'm working on that too, and in pandemic time, it's perfect time to be trying to figure out what you want to be doing. Like sure, that. sure. Do you have a? Is does that project have a name yet, or? Not yet. We're throwing some ideas around, but we haven't come up with anything yet. And that's the great thing about pandemic season—you don't have to rush it. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's um. That's the. It's certainly a great time to like experiment and try stuff just because I mean uh, I think a lot of people just have tons of time alone right now so
0: Yeah, I mean it's like I'm working a little bit but there's
1: not a lot of it right now. Yes. Yeah. So shut down and and so
0: uh, I mean it's it's good to be able to have the time but sometimes I'm like also wondering if I'm thinking about it too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah
1: sometimes, because like, the way the whole Lavinia thing started, it was just like, hey, here's some tunes, let's put them together and go for it and Yeah, see what... You know? Yeah, We didn't think much, so maybe
0: overthinking it can be a bad thing, I don't
1: know. Were, th- were those tunes uh, for that first Lavinia record, was that done... Were you kind of writing it as you guys were playing it, or did you come with finished songs and bring them to the other guys?
0: Uh, most of them were my kind of ideas, but like they're based on um, XEXO was starting to take a different direction. Yeah. When it started, when we were doing it originally, so the drummer and I would just screw around on wrist when we were waiting for people to show up. Yeah. And we just always kept those around, and we recorded and stuff, and then, and you know, it just it was stuff that wasn't going to fit into XEXO anymore, so. And I was just seeing that not being where I wanted to be going with that. so yeah. As soon as I departed, the drummer, and I just said, he just looked at me and goes, "Cool, let's work on your stuff too." And I was like, "All right, cool." Nice. <laughs> it, it just happened kind of so organically that you know I can't. I don't know. It just wasn't a lot of thinking behind it. It was like Phil was like, "Cool, I'm playing bass." We didn't even really ask him. He just <laughs> he just did. Yes. Yeah. But it was fun. It was just interesting to just do it with four guys who had really no vested interest in anything. We weren't going on tour. We weren't going to, you know, we didn't even know if we'd make another album or anything. Right. So it was kind of fun. And people seemed to dig it, so that's cool.
1: Right on. Right on. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. But obviously, I'm assuming uh, most of the design work you're working on right now during pandemic is from home but pre pandemic were you doing most of your design work at home or did you do you have an office you would go to uh i used to work in offices um and up until
0: um 2011 um and then i decided to i was tired of commuting i didn't want to do it anymore Yeah, so i started for the company I worked for in Cambridge and I just started doing it and then I just realized I can work just fine from home and I don't need to go to an office and and so that's when I moved to Texas kept working with them for a while just kind of fizzled out and started working for a place in New York for a while I was in Texas nobody cares where you are right this is great yeah it's like so I mean Yeah, I mean, so I I basically just have been remote since. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you miss it. Yeah. Going to an office, being around people, but I don't miss office politics at all. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, so if you were able, you know, if you were working remotely beforehand, what prompted the uh, what prompted the move to Texas? Uh,
0: I was shoveling one day and a brutal storm and I was kind of like you know what I don't
2: have to live here right right I, nothing unfair, I don't have kids or in school right
0: you know? uh, it's just me and my wife she can get a job anywhere at the time yeah, yeah it's like um, and I'm like I don't want to be here right I'm just tired tired of this
1: um, I wanted to just
0: try something else. Yeah, it's like you know, I had the opportunity to do it, and I
1: was able to do it. So why not try something else? Sure. Yeah. yeah, I um, it, it, I can understand that completely. I was about eleven years ago. We had a pretty bad ice storm, and I was living uh on, on the beach in Hampton, New Hampshire. And you know, we lost power for a couple days, and I just said, I don't want to live somewhere where if the power goes out, the possibility of dying is possible so you know i i had moved to i moved to arizona for a few years because of that and then turns out i can deal with arizona or uh, i can deal with new england winters better than arizona summers though
0: yeah i i I found that out in texas too yeah summer is a long summer yeah to be generous yeah when it's march if it's 85 that's gorgeous but by the time
1: September rolls around, and it's still over a hundred every
0: day.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a little fun. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm. Uh, you know, because right now we're in that sweet spot in New England where it's beautiful fall weather, and it's the fall is my favorite season of the year. But unfortunately, uh, in New England, we'll get about three weeks of this, and then it's going to be too cold. So yeah,
0: exactly. You know, and the, I mean, when I lived
2: in Philly, I kind of like that climate better Mm -hmm. because it's like the falls are a little longer and the winters are a lot a little bit shorter yeah
0: summer is going to be hot no matter what yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. I'm I'm just not a big six month cold guy to be honest with you yeah yeah I hear you I hear you there I'm I'm still on the hunt for the elusive and probably mythological place where it's you know spring or fall weather you know, 275 days out of the year, so.
0: Yeah, wherever that is, I'm sure we can't not afford it.
1: Right, exactly, exactly, so. So, yeah,
0: I mean, it's always, you know, it's always, you know, it's like, I don't know, when my family, when I was in Texas, my, I would always book for all my family and they had that winter, and, and, and I would just, and then they would get me back in the summer, so. Sure, yeah. sure, yep. <laughs> 100 degrees for over a month down there. Here, you know? yeah. Well, yeah. whatever. <laughs> at, least at least it's not snowing. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just I felt like if I don't move around and get some exploring done, I'm never gonna. I might never do it.
1: So I I I totally am with you there. I uh, luckily I work for a company that uh, is in most of the country and i've been kind of eyeing where i can relocate to next and because i was like you know i'm in my mid 40s right now i was like you know hopefully i got 30 to 40 more years but you never know and i said there's a lot of places i'd like to live and i got to start moving to some of them and checking them out if i really want to do it so yeah and i felt the same way it's like i can't say i'm done with it sure this is where i'm at and i'm cool with that but you know you know and i came back for a lot of reasons you know just just a bunch of reasons but it's like you know it's like and for good reasons i, I mean and uh so but i mean who knows you never know and i can't say i won't go i'm just not planning it right now sure sure right on well um i appreciate you taking the time to talk to me it was good to good to actually see your face and uh yeah reconnect yeah, don't be a
0: stranger, my friend, And, uh, and uh, yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Once we can actually travel again, um, uh, it would be nice to come down and, and see you face-to-face. Yeah, definitely. Let's do that. Let's make that a plan once we're allowed to actually go beyond state lines and stuff like that without getting a $1,000 fine. Exactly. <laughs> awesome, man. Good to talk to you.
0: Have a great day, buddy.
1: Thanks. You too. But All right.